welcome to the Pharma Forum Podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. Today, we have something a little different for you. Rather than one long interview, I'm going to take you with me to the Farm Stars Accelerator launch event held last month in Boston's Seaport District. Invite only and off the record, the event is the culmination of a startup accelerator that spends weeks preparing 10 to 12 startups to work with pharma partners. The startups are organized around a central theme, in this case, real-world evidence. Over the course of a day, they pitch to a room full of pharma execs, their peers, and just a few invited journalists and investors. Two things struck me about this event both times I've attended it. One, the startups really know how to tell their stories and a good deal of emphasis placed on polishing the presentations. And two, the themed nature of the cohorts leads to events that form a cohesive narrative. I wanted to share a little bit of that narrative with you. So although the event content was strictly off the record, I pulled some attendees aside for an on-the-record interviews throughout the day. I spoke to two pharma execs, a startup founder, an event organizer, and an investor, a true cross-section of attendees. The terms real-world data and real-world evidence began to permeate the world of pharma more than half a decade ago. They refer to any data gathered outside of an artificial setting like a clinical trial, either data sources from claims databases or electronic health records, or bespoke data collected in patients' day-to-day lives via wearables or apps. It sounds simple, but the reality of finding, cleaning, analyzing, and using that data has been anything but. Here's Dr. Shrawan Patel. FarmStar's mentorship director. Real-world data, real-world evidence are, are all within the same, all within the same bucket. But data is, is just data. It is an information. You can't derive any insights from it. So there's this process of finding, acquiring, accessing, normalizing, harmonizing data. Then there's a second step of analyzing actually deriving insights and then you have the real world evidence piece where you now have these insights and you have to use those insights to make business decisions and there are actually problems across all three steps let's focus first on that first hurdle finding or generating the real world data in the first place as patel tells us it's easier for some kinds of data than for others one of the things we heard from our members, and I think this is true across pharma in general, is access to data in some geographies and in some locations, disease areas, is, is, is well known and it exists. But if you want to find or access data in Europe, for example, it is actually far more difficult in comparison to the United States. So if you're trying to do multi-country studies or, or gather evidence, real-world data from more than just the US, you run into this issue of poor interoperability, EHR use, or electronic medical record use isn't quite as prevalent in, in Europe. We didn't have, or we don't have the equivalent of meaningful use that really drove EHR adoption here in the States. So just accessing data and finding data is difficult. Aidan Doyle is head of data insights and analytics within the rare disease unit at AstraZeneca, Alexion. He says that rare disease is very much one of those areas where good real-world data is hard to find. You're dealing with very small patient populations. There's not a lot of real-world data out there. So it's finding ways to actually generate and capture real-world data. Um, So there's a lot of programs that I think you you see in the industry around uh, digital engagement initiatives 
that also then obviously uh, have the ability to harvest the data that has been captured as and, and managed across you know those engagements. A number of the startups at the event were focused on this problem. Many of those were in the business of creating new sources of real-world data. A startup called Variant is building a crowdsourced social database where rare disease patients can share their experiences with medications with each other and with pharma companies. And several companies were pitching novel remote patient monitoring devices, like BioStrap's wearable and Solero Systems' ingestible sensor in a pill. But by far the biggest focus for finding that data was the electronic medical record. Companies like Enference, Promptly, and UMed were all working with medical centers to provide two-way value propositions that would let pharma access EMR data while also providing something of value to the providers. UMed combines two of these approaches, both creating new data and giving researchers access to the EMR. Here's UMed founder Matt Wilson to explain it a little better. UMed's an organization where we built uh, a network of healthcare providers in our span. 10 million patients from providers across the UK, US, and now Australia. Um, and the really unique thing that we're able to do is, um, through our relationships with those providers, not only um, target specific patient groups based on the EMR data, so find patients with specific criteria and characteristics, but we can then directly engage those patients on behalf of their recognized healthcare provider for specific studies. And that allows us to be able to actually start running our own large-scale programs and studies where we can start linking health record data to very unique data that we collect from the patients at home, such as patient reported data, device data, samples. Uh, and that really gives the researchers that we work with access to data that they simply otherwise just wouldn't have access to because it's not part of routinely collected real-world evidence assets. I wanted to speak to Wilson because he was able to clearly articulate an important point about real-world evidence and how it relates to clinical trials, a thread I followed up with with several of my interviewees. He started his presentation by describing a capability gap that currently exists even when pharma companies can find ample sources of data. Traditionally, clinical trials are so expensive and time-consuming. And also, I think one of the other elements that people miss is, is that they're so burdensome to healthcare providers that the vast majority of providers can't engage with them at all because there's, there's simply, you know, they've, they've got too much to do trying to look after patients to think about running a prospective program as well. So as a result of that, it's only the clinical questions that are the most important and valuable. And, and you know, if we're talking financially, are going to give the highest ROI are the ones that are going to actually get done in these multi-clinical studies. And then, you know, real-world evidence has, has come in with these sort of routinely collected data assets where you're, you're bringing together multiple different existing data sources. And they're fantastic. But the problem is, is that there's, you, you're reliant on hoping that the data that you need exists within inside those existing data sources. So no matter how hard you look, no matter how good your your data algorithms are, you, you can't find data that simply doesn't exist. And, and so if that data is important, which it, it is, um, to be able to answer clinical questions, then you've got this gap, this capability gap. You can't get it in real world evidence. It's, it's not worth running a multi-site clinical study for 10, 20, 50 million dollars. So what do you do? And, and that's, the, that's the gap we're trying to fill. Socrates famously said that a wise person is one who knows what they don't know. Jim Cronin, senior director of R&D and IT at Alexion, the rare disease unit of AstraZeneca, says this is one of the strengths of real-world data for his group. For us, it's finding out the things that we don't know. We have to, I think, start in many cases with real-world data because 
we will enter in and we will have novel ideas for approaching a, a new rare disease therapeutic area. We don't know enough about the patients. So we need to start to gather information over what they think that, or what we think that they look like, how they act, what are their challenges, what are the things, and then start to apply that to what we internally believe is the right approaches to kind of get them, you know, the right treatments that we can, you know, change their lives, save their lives, et cetera. So to me, I think there's going to be continuation of that two different worlds, um, but we just need to be able to tap into real world data to make our programs smarter, more efficient, potentially, and better designed. Doyle, Cronin's coworker at Alexion, added that real world data can give more personal insights than trial data. When I think about real-world data, I think about sort of data that can help us better understand the patient journey, right? And that's critical because when you're dealing with, uh, again, rare disease, you're dealing with patients who are sometimes five to seven years undiagnosed, misdiagnosed. Um, and us being able to potentially leverage data about actual patients in the context of the journey they've experienced we can then extrapolate that out to the, the broader population of, uh, in the U.S., 300 million patients. And potentially we can actually identify uh, patients or help physicians identify uh, uh, patients that, that they may be seeing but just may not be recognizing the, the symptoms of the uh, disease they have. One more area where real-world data can be found is in the wide variety of omics data, including genomics and microbiome data, that's increasingly being collected outside of hospital settings. One startup that presented at the event, Unison, is focused on the data locked away in consumer testing startups like 23andMe, creating a platform that lets those companies share relevant aggregated data with pharma while maintaining user privacy and control of the data. Akanksha Mehta, an investor at Transformation Capital, told me that genomics data is one area where her firm is particularly interested. So we've recently been spending a lot of time in that space and historically, um, We've seen sort of a slower uptake in genomic testing and the use of genomic data, but hopefully over the next 10 years, we're hoping that that will accelerate a lot more, especially as we talk about this move to precision medicine. It's really important to integrate that not only into clinical practice, but also from a drug development perspective as we see, as we see a push towards personalized therapeutics and the likes. So startups can help pharma find real-world data in all the places where it's hiding. But what about all the other challenges Patel mentioned? Many other startups were focused on harmonizing and analyzing that data and making it useful. Here's Cronin from Alexion again. Really, the main thing I was looking for is there, are there easy ways to simplify, and some of the vendors were hitting on it, interoperability of various data sources. So we have external data we already have access to. There may be some other interesting external data we want to have access to. We have internal data. How can we tie them together easier? And then what are the right types of approaches for analyzing that data in ways that we may not be thinking of right now as a rare disease? So those, that was like the big thing for me coming into it. It would hit upon a number of use cases that we've internally defined that we have interest in, in pursuing. Real world data comes from a variety of sources. So in order to make it useful, it has to be normalized. The different data have to be adjusted so they can be meaningfully compared to one another. Here's Patel again. That normalization process is quite complex and requires very specialized skills. Most pharma companies don't have teams that are specialized in doing it. Genomics data also presents challenges when it comes to harmonization and analytics. Here's Meta from Transformation Capital. As the cost of genome, whole genome sequences has, sequencing has come down drastically over the past 10 to 15 years. Um, but the issue still remains is when a pharma company is dealing with genomics data, it is 
on such a large and massive scale, how can you make that accessible, usable in a way where it's not just the bioinformaticians or the data scientists that can work with it, but you're making that accessible across the organization. Many of the startups I mentioned before, like Promptly, UMED, and Enference, are also doing a certain amount of normalization for pharma companies. Another, Huma.ai, converts publicly available but unstructured data, like social media, regulatory databases, and clinicaltrials.gov, into a Google-like Q&A tool for pharma. It uses a combination of AI and human experts. Citadel Discovery goes deep, using AI and machine learning to generate drug candidates from DNA-encoded libraries. And Scientia Lab uses AI to find subpopulations where existing drugs are most likely to be effective. Another interesting problem arises when it comes to preparing data for use in AI, data annotation. Here's Meta again. The key bottleneck isn't really just related to merging data across data sets, but also how do you annotate that data. Um, and so that was that's one trend that I'm personally intrigued by. We've seen companies been really, been really successful doing that outside of healthcare and scale, but we haven't necessarily seen that in healthcare because it's really difficult to do. It requires expertise and we can't necessarily, you know, give someone um, who doesn't really have a specific background a picture of cars and be like, annotate all the trees or annotate all um, the cars that you see around me to help an autonomous um, self vehicle. So that's one trend that I'm really intrigued by. One company, Centaur Labs, had a fascinating approach to data annotation for medical data essentially a gamified app that incentivizes doctors, radiologists, med students, and other experts to annotate de-identified data in large data sets in exchange for prize money. The startup has a number of systems built in to make sure the data is accurate, but they found that the system can actually outperform individual medical experts in both speed and accuracy. CEO Eric DeHame calls it an infinitely scalable army of subject matter experts. Real-world data and evidence is a major trend right now. Umeds Wilson says it's coming out of its own trough of disillusionment, to use Gartner hype cycle terminology. I'd, I'd say in the sort of 2010s, there's really sort of excitement over all of the potential possibilities of how you could use real world evidence, particularly in terms of regulatory, you know, decision making. And, and I think we're, we, we've seen that kind of cool off, I think, over the last few years, um, in the last couple of years in particular, where I think certain you know, companies where there was significant investment haven't necessarily delivered on those uh, huge shifts in regulatory, you know, sh regulatory filings that perhaps they thought, you know, I'm thinking specifically around kind of flat iron and companies like that. And, but, but I think, well, then I think what we're seeing now is, um, you know, hopefully you as part of this, but there's lots of other companies is, is it, we're sort of coming out the other side of that where, there was a lot of hype, and then a lot of that hype didn't get delivered. So I think yeah. the industry broadly is, is, is sort of swung the other way, and I think there's a lot of negativity around what actually what value can you bring. But I, I think we're now seeing that s s sort of slow upslope on the other That's side, where where people are now the, the maturity of the technology and the access to the data, and, and and just the data itself. I think we've you know. There's been so much that's been learned about how to normalize, harmonize, physically access data from silo different providers across different countries. Um, I think we're now seeing that mature to a point where we really are starting to see um, meaningful 
value and outcomes from that from that real world evidence that I think is what people everybody expected, but we're just perhaps five five ten years later than it's than the hype said. After a day of presentations, the startups met with a selection of farmer partners. What came out of those meetings, we won't know until the companies and their partners decide to make public announcements. But everyone agreed that the meetings and presentations held a lot of value in and of themselves. Here's Wilson again. You know, so so actually for us, just that market intelligence really, and just being able to spend time with senior, you know, bright people from pharma um, in, in a candid way to get their feedback about what we're doing, I think will, you know, if we, if we can get some deals out of it, fantastic. Don't get me wrong, that would be, that would be the, the best outcome. But even that notwithstanding, just um, really getting the opportunity to speak to so many different pharma companies and senior people and get that, get that feedback will be, will be fantastic for us. And here's Alexion's Cronin one more time. Just been great learnings for us to be able to take a couple of days to come out of the day-to-day grind of, hey, this is what our goals are for the year. This is what we're looking to do, is to think a little bit differently. So this is what we crave at this point of our careers is looking at things a little bit more strategically, coming in armed with kind of high-level themes that we want to focus on, and then being able to see different technologies is fun. I mean, to me, this is kind of a fun aspect of the job. Real-world data and real-world evidence are complex issues with significant problems that need to be figured out. But with innovative startups and deeply invested farmer partners on the case, this transformation doesn't seem far away. Thanks to Naomi Freed and Farmstars for inviting us into their event, and thank you to Sherwan Patel, Jim Cronin, Aidan Doyle, Matt Wilson, and Akanksha Shameta for going on the record with me on site. For Farm Forum, I'm Jonah Comstock. That concludes this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast. You can find more information about this episode, including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com slash podcast. The Pharma Forum podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher, and Podme, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins and to follow us on Twitter at at Pharma Forum. Thanks for listening.